we want to lift up our own cases, lift up our clients, but also lift up other women and help them get into the courtroom. Creating space for women in and out of the courtroom takes personal resolve and community support. Life can be difficult. So I don't want to say it's difficult to be a mom and a lawyer. I think that you have to create kind of boundaries in your own life and try to work within those boundaries. According to a recent survey, only 19% of managing partners in U.S. law firms are female. We would like to see that change. Hello, and welcome to LawHerd, the show where we celebrate the trailblazing attorneys and entrepreneurs who are changing the game for women in the legal field. Be inspired by their stories, learn from their mistakes, and look forward to the future they're helping build for the next generation of women in law. I am Sonia Palmer, your host and VP of Operations at Rankings, the SEO agency of choice for elite law firms. This is Lawhar. A super lawyer in Southern California since 2018 and recognized among the best lawyers in America in the practice area of personal injury litigation, Candace Klein knows what it takes to win. She recently founded Chang Klein with partner Deborah Chang and was awarded Best Law Firms by U.S. News and World Report and Best Lawyer in its first year. With over 20 years of experience, she believes that women should not have to choose between family and career. She thrives in the chaos of juggling depositions and making school lunches. Today, we explore mentorship for women in law, continuing education that makes good trial lawyers great, and carving out time for yourself, even if it's only 20 minutes a day. Let's dive in. I loved law school. Um, I'm one of those weird people who really loved school. And I just remember watching the sunrise and just being so excited to like get on top of the day and just get into the library and start studying. And I loved it. Southwestern was great. First year was obviously hard, but I learned how to integrate and do my law school and study time. And then also kind of balance with work and also balance with my fun. I love mornings too. I love like beating the sun awake. (laughs) Just something about it jumpstarts the day. A hundred percent. My, uh, I think it's hereditary. My sister, my dad, we all, no matter what I could go to bed at, you know, two in the morning, but I'm up by five o'clock. No problem. Did you always know you wanted to be a lawyer? I have a 97 year old grandma who will tell you that when I was six years old, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. (laughs) Um, In fact, I just saw her and she, you know, she tells the story all the time. When I was you know, growing up, my mom had gone through a couple of divorces and I remember being in court with her. And there's just a very specific memory that I have that I talk about all the time that I remember being in the hallway with her and a bunch of, you know, men in gray suits kind of down the hall, whispering and talking and my mom just not knowing what was going on and being vulnerable and me knowing at that young age, I want to know what those guys know. And so I knew all along, there was no lawyers in my family, but I knew just I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to know what those guys knew. I read that once you passed the bar, you were immediately handed a file and sent to trial. Can you tell us that story? True story. (laughs) My first firm that I worked with, I was a law clerk there. And then I passed the bar and my secretary was a notary and she swore me in. And literally my, my boss at the time handed me a file and said, this case is going to trial. And I had never been in a trial before. I'd never seen what a trial looked like, you know, and back in the day, it wasn't like you could go on online and watch what people are doing. It was a different time back then trial by fire. I mean, I learned how to try cases just by doing it and not necessarily having a mentor and having someone, you know, I I didn't second chair a bunch of cases and, and kind of learn as I went up, I was just go, go do it. 
what values or personality traits do you think sort of helped you be able to do that? I've always self-motivated and just knew that if I needed to get something done, I had to do it myself and just figured out a way to do it. And it may not have been the best and it may not have been beautiful and it may not have been elegant or graceful, but it was, it was going to get done and it was going to get done as best as I could do it. The first firm that I worked at, I tried other people where could barely even get in to do a status conference. And and I was trying cases on my own. Wow. Wow. So with so much trial experience under your belt, is there anything that you know now today that you wish you had known then when you were starting out? You know, you grow as a person, you grow as a lawyer, you, you learn how to be more confident and how to maybe handle situations differently. So I think, you know, even now I learn in every trial. So I think there's something to be learned as in life, you know, every day. So I am continuing to learn. Um, my partner now is just a phenomenal trial lawyer. And we had our first trial last year together. And I told her, I mean, I learned so many tactics and, and things where my gut may be, you know, may have been nervous about something. And then she would say, no, 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 just go with it, you know, and then it would go a different direction. If things don't go your way, it's okay. You have completed the UCLA Gross Anatomy Program for Litigators. Can you tell us a bit about the program and how you see continuing education courses like this benefiting attorneys? I've heard a lot of lawyers say you don't really learn how to be a lawyer in law school. You know, you you learn the law and you learn how to analyze cases, but you don't really learn how to be a lawyer until you actually put things into, into action. The class that I took, it was just a unique time that UCLA was allowing lawyers. There were cadavers there and we actually dissected them and did. You know, we, we held organs and we learned about different parts of the body. And it was, you know, just a way, instead of just reading an MRI or reading a book about how, you know, orthopedic injuries, it was, okay, this is the knee and this is the patella. And this is, you know, where, you know, a tear would be and how it looks. And it's easier to describe something when you have personal knowledge of it, you know, instead of just, like I said, reading a textbook or, you know, reading an article about it, it was actually physically seeing it and understanding how anatomy works and how the body works and, how, if there's an injury, how that would affect, you know, your client. Does that change your delivery in the courtroom, having that sort of in-depth knowledge? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, you know, when you're talking about something, imagine just, you know, even in, in daily life, you could talk about something that, you know, something, uh, you know, a lot about, or you could talk about something that you just know a little bit about. And so if you know a lot about it, you're more apt to be able to teach what you know to someone else and, you know, describe it in a way that's not just kind of on surface level, but really help the, the jurors understand exactly what the injury is and how it affects your client and how, you know, their day-to-day life is affected. And, and translating you know, your client's injuries in a way that mm-hmm. people who have no understanding as to what it's like, you, you know, you're able to better describe it to 12 people who are learning about it for the first time. The intensity, the damage, that makes a lot of sense. You are also a graduate of the Trial Lawyers College. I am. How did that education make you a better attorney? Going to the Trial Lawyers College is is really a, a, a unique experience. I mean, anyone who's, who's gone to the ranch will tell you that it is life-changing. So not only does it affect the way that you try a case or that, you know, the lawyer that you are, it affects you, or at least affected me on, on, on a human level, just in my relationships in general, just it really was everything. It was 
a really interesting time in my life. And I was kind of at crossroads and in personal relationships. And it really helped me to find my center, find out who I was and what I wanted and to, you know, to really make some changes in my life to, to kind of go for what I wanted. And so when you become a more confident person, then you become a more confident lawyer. And for me, that's how it transformed me, I think, into um, a more confident person. That's excellent. That's excellent insight. For young litigators who might be listening, what is an actionable piece of advice you'd give them? You got to go with your gut. I'm really a believer in doing what you're passionate about and making you know career choices that really are thoughtful. And you really have to go deep into your soul and figure out what it is that you want because you know, being a lawyer is a huge, (laughs) you know, it's a huge commitment. It's not just a nine to five job. Anyone who who tries cases will tell you that it is, it's life consuming, it's all consuming. And so you really have to know that that's what you want to do. And you have to kind of do it in a way that makes sense for you. And I say this to a lot of people, I don't think that there's a specific timeline that you have to follow as a woman and as a mom, I had my son kind of later than the norm and I didn't necessarily, you know, have to balance family and career because I started with just a full on career. And then kind of midstream, I said, Oh, wait a minute. If I don't have a kid like right now, I'm going to lose my mind. And so then I had already kind of established my career and, and then became a mom. And now I learn how to, you know, try to navigate and, and balance being a mom and being a lawyer. But what I s- tell people all the time is there's not a specific timeline that you have to follow. Don't think that you have to have, you know, this done or have a kid or, you know, have X amount of trials by this period of time. I think you kind of have to really just go and do what's right for you at that time. Because for me, things changed. Like I said, I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to be a mom. And then I woke up one morning and was like, I may die if I'm not a mom as soon as possible. So I think you got to go with your gut and go what what feels good. Those go hand in hand, knowing what you want and then sort of seizing an opportunity. And I've heard that sort of common thread about a time for things. And there's a time for career, a time for career building, and then a time for family and finding that balance and being able to weave in and out of those effectively. And then yes, knowing what you want and being able to focus on it at the right time it's ever evolving and it, and it changes a lot for a lot of people. So, you know, if you've thought, okay, I want to be a partner by this year and I want to have my kid by this year. And if those things don't work out, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Everything happens for a reason. I, I'm a true believer that everything happens for a reason and you just got to take life as it comes and, and deal with the, you know, with the punches as they come. Yep. Great advice. What is the difference between a good trial lawyer and a great one? I think a great trial lawyer is someone who has a connection with their client and understands what their client's story is and what their client's case is really about and has the ability to have that information and have that knowledge and to then, you know, be able to translate that to a jury. My firm, we really are believers in our clients become part of our family. We really get to know them. We get to understand them. And my partner, you know, Debbie Chang is always saying, what's her story? What's the story? What's the story? And that's 
really the essence of what every case is about is what is that client story? How has what happened to them changed, you know, who they were before and, and made them who they are now. And so I think a great trial lawyer understands that and understands what their client has gone through, how they've been affected and can then, you know, put on a case, whether it's with witnesses, you know, experts, and and really put on the case for the jury to understand what that person has gone through. Yeah, let's talk about your firm, Chang Klein. When did you know it was time to take the leap and start your own firm? Um, the pandemic. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, yes. I worked, yeah, Debbie and I worked together um, at our last firm, and we really had a connection together. And you know, we loved working at that firm and then the, you know, COVID happened and everyone was working from home and we started thinking about what we wanted for our future. And we're still working remotely. And that was really important to us because the pandemic came at a time where I was, I have have a son, he's nine years old and I was struggling with you know, wanting to be home and wanting to be a stay-at-home mom, but loving my career and, you know, and really um, wanting to try cases. And so COVID kind of came at a, at a crazy time for me that it was so nice to have the opportunity to be home with my son. And then it just felt like the natural progression to kind of start our own creative firm and to do all the things that we wanted to do, have the time to work with the clients and to focus on cases that we could just give our our all to, you know, and have clients that we could understand, you know, their story and learn about them and be creative with them. And it it just was, you know, timing. (laughs) I think the pandemic forced firms, legal industry, lots of other industries to adapt and thrive or struggle. And especially I think within the legal industry and with lawyers to be able to do Zoom meetings and do virtual and just meet clients where they're at, you know, versus kind of forcing clients to come to them has to be an advantage, even moving forward past the pandemic. So absolutely. Your team of founders are all women. Was that an intentional choice? I don't know that it was intentional. It was, again, it was timing. It felt right. It felt like we were at a point in our careers where we had the same goals, the same, you know, ideas as to how we wanted the next phase of our life to go. And so it made sense. We wanted to see more women in the courtroom. And that was definitely part of it. I still think as much progress as women are making, I really would like to see more women in the courtroom. And that's something that we really are passionate about and we want to help that happen. And so we, you know, we love trying cases and we get referred a lot of cases, but we also like to work with other lawyers and want to work with other women and help them get into the courtroom and help them try cases. So we want to lift up our own cases, lift up our clients, but also lift up other women and help them get into the courtroom. Yes. Listening to you speak, you can tell how much you love to try cases. I do. It, and I didn't always think that that's where I was going to go. I was a really shy kid and I didn't, I was kind of the one who sat back and was analytical and, and kind of watched the room. I wasn't the, I wasn't the talker. And so when I said that I was going to be a trial lawyer, my family, you know, kind of laughed and went, you, but there's something to be said about being in a courtroom and, you know, being passionate about your client and being passionate about their case. And 
talking to other people about it and trying to just be there for the client and, and help them get to a place where they can try to recover from whatever they've gone through. It feels so good to help people and to, you know, try to create a better world for someone after they've suffered or they've suffered a loss. Tell us about your partner, how you guys work together, kind of how the idea started and what made you go together and do this. Sure. So um, Debbie and I worked together at our last firm and we we didn't necessarily work on cases together, but we had gone to a couple seminars together and just really got to know each other. And, you know, she's an incredible lawyer and an incredible storyteller. And I was just always so mesmerized by her. Yeah. And then during the pandemic, just kind of being on Zoom meetings and talking, and then we started talking on the phone and we just realized that we were both ready for, you know, a different phase in our life. And it just, timing was perfect. And it felt good to, you know, to have a strong woman to kind of partner up with and, start a firm. It wasn't something that I set out to do, but it was something that I was lucky enough that it happened. Storytelling is essential to winning cases and getting the most for your clients. Can you walk us through how you like to construct a client narrative? There's no specific formula. I think, again, it's it's really spending a lot of time with your clients and getting to know kind of all the people that are around them and trying to understand what makes them tick. Again, who they were prior to whatever has happened, you know, whatever brought them to us, we like to understand what happened before that, right? Who they were before that. And so we do a lot, take a lot of effort to spend time with siblings, children, parents, friends, coworkers. I mean, everyone, we really try to do our best to get the entire story as to who the person was. And so we go through photographs and videos and social media, and we really try to spend time understanding stories and get other witnesses to talk about, you know, their experience with our client and what makes them tick. And so that's, that's really how we get to understand their story and how to then figure out how to, you know, put that all together and tell a jury what the, what the complete story is. Can you be creative in the courtroom? Are there creative ways or new methods of storytelling that you can use? Oh, for sure. I mean, one of Debbie's favorite things to do is to kind of put together a closing video. And that takes a lot of creative effort. So that's, you know, going through and scouring through photographs and videos and stories and clips. And then we, you know, Debbie's really good at even going through B-roll and, you know, putting together different scenes and making it like a movie. So at the very end of the case, when, you know, during closing argument, it's, it's basically a movie of this person's life. And so it's not so much just talking about what happened, but that then the jury gets to see it and walk through it. And one of the things that Debbie has taught me, which is so amazing because my husband is in music and music I know is so important to people and to connecting and to being, you know, emotional. And so we often talk to our clients about what was your favorite song? What was the song that you and your, you know, husband danced to at your wedding? And we get a lot of music together and that becomes also part of the story. So we put, you know, when we, when we have that closing video, it's also with music. And so there's that connection. 
we had a case last year where our client had a really significant brain injury and he had, um, he was by himself. He was at a CVS and the music was came on and it was a Wilson Phillips song. And in the CVS, he literally broke down because the words were so impactful for him. And he had this breakdown in the middle of a CVS and we told that story at trial and we played the song and we listened, you know, and the, the jurors heard the words and heard why those words affected him and why he was brought, you know, to his knees in hysterical crying. And so that was such an important part of, of telling his story was, which was music. And that's, you know, something that I had never done before in trial. And it was so impactful. It was such an important, you know, part of the trial. Candace and her partner, Deborah Chang, aren't the only advocates for getting more women in the courtroom. Athea is a group of female lawyers, all with their own respective firms, who have partnered to help other women lawyers. They started basically taking on really larger cases and collaboratively working on those cases together, and they'll be tried throughout the country. And so... Debbie, you know, my partner is one sixth of, of Athea. And so, you know, so she has her own firm, which is our firm, Chang Klein. And then each of the other partners of Athea have their own respective firms in their own respective states. What other ways do you see like benefits of networking and support systems and things like that, where you have your own firm, but then collectively working together as well? We learn from everyone that we work with. And so there's something to be said about brainstorming ideas with other people within your firm, outside of your firm, and then, you know, uplifting everyone and helping everyone to get the best results for their clients. So we love working with other lawyers. Collaborating. Yeah, collaborating. And even, you know, when, when attorneys refer us cases, we'll say, if you want to be involved, you can be as involved as you want. If you want to, you know, sit in depositions and help with the process, 100%. If you want to just refer us the case and watch us do it, that's okay too. We like to learn as much as possible. And I think everyone has creative ideas. So whether it's you've tried 50 cases or you've never tried a case, everyone has good ideas. And so it's always nice to work together. Yeah. I love that to pull from lots of different types of experience. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we do brainstorming cases, we'll all be on zoom and we'll have legal assistants and law clerks and our paralegal. I mean, everyone is kind of part of the process because like I said, everyone, you know, has good ideas on your website. You mentioned that you never want to choose between being a lawyer and a mother. You successfully do both. For those considering motherhood or those who are already moms, is the work-life balance a myth? I will quote my mother who always says, you can have balance. You just may not have balance (laughs) at all times. It is definitely, I don't want to use the word difficult because, you know, life can be difficult. So I don't want to say it's difficult to be a mom and a lawyer. I think that you have to create kind of boundaries in your own life and then try to, you know, to try to work within those boundaries. So if there are certain things that are extremely important that I know that I want to be part of with my son's, you know, life, I will make sure that I am part of those things. For instance, making lunches or making breakfast. Like I don't care where I'm at. If I'm in trial, if I'm not, I enjoy making my son's lunch for school. And so I, I will wake up early or, you know, do whatever it is. 
because I like that creative part of making lunches and you know the color and the way that I organize it and putting in notes. That's just something that's important to me. So I could wake up, you know, at, at three in the morning, prepare for trial, and then make sure that I always get his lunch done because that's something that is important to me. But I think it is hard. You know, it's hard, especially being a trial lawyer, because it consumes so much time. It's not only being in trial during trial hours, but then it's also preparing for trial. And so obviously that takes away from from family time. But I'm I'm lucky that I have a, you know, a supportive husband who when I'm not there, he's there for my son. And so we've never had a nanny. People think we're crazy. You know, I hear all the time, like, why don't you have a nanny or why don't you do this? And we just make it work because that's what was important to us. You know, we, we had my son older. We were, and so it was very important to me to be a hands-on mom. So we just make it work. As a child of a mom who loved making lunches and was very detailed about lunches, it does not go unappreciated. I hope that, you know, in like five years from now, I'll say, what's the one thing that you remember going to school? And he'll say, your lunches. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. um, My friends were always very jealous in the lunchroom. My son actually told me the other day that uh, that his friends were teasing him also because he always has good lunches yeah. <laughs> and great. always has, he has, uh, he loves, he's like obsessed with mango. So he always has like a freshly cut mango and they help. Nice. Very good. So you carve out time for your family. You carve out time to make lunches for your son. Do you carve out time for you? What does that look like? How do you decompress? I meditate. I started meditating, I'd say probably about five years ago. I had heard about it and was interested in it. And I came home from work one day and I was like beyond stressed out. And we have in our house, we had like the small closet that's underneath the stairs. So it's like this angled kind of weird closet. We used to keep luggage in it. And I said, I need a space and I need my own space. And so I cleared that space out and I put in like a a rug and this cool pillow, meditation pillow and a cool table and candles. And then I put in like all these little details and a red light and little lights. And my son and I do a lot of art. And so I covered the walls with our art and I made this my little meditation room. And so that is where I go for me time. I try to meditate meditate if I can, at least, you know, 20 minutes in the morning and then at night. And that is my most important me time is just trying to get it, you know, get into my mindful, peaceful, alone time in my meditation room. (laughs) I I love that. I, I think like part of the beauty of meditation is that you can do it anywhere, but I think there's something to be said for creating a designated space. Yeah, definitely. Where you can just go and that's what you do while you're there. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, because you can meditate I mean, you can, you know, I could be sitting here at my desk and I could close my eyes and and I could meditate. But I think for me, it's also the experience in kind of stepping away from the outside world and going into that private space mm-hmm. where it's just, I just like, I open up the door and I sit there and I just, I only get good feelings. I think that's important. And that's, you know, it's, it may not 20 minutes a day. doesn't really seem like a lot, but it's, it's all I got. That adds up over a week, over a month or a year. I think just that small amount, uh, I think five minutes is beneficial. So true. And hiking with my dog. That's the other thing. That's my special time. Cause I like to be out in nature and mm-hmm. just bonding with her and, you know, smelling the roses outside is huge for me. 
I get a puppy on Saturday. I'm excited to have a dog again. What kind of dog? A sheep-a-doodle. I have a Bernadoodle, a sheep-a-doodle. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. son, actually, our next dog, that's, that was on his list of what he wanted. Yeah, I had a golden doodle. And so staying in the oodle family. Tell me about the improv for lawyers. I'm very curious. I was on a panel recently with Brian Breider, who's an attorney who started the improv for trial. I mean, improv for lawyers. And I just, I saw his presentation. I thought he was amazing. And we talked about it afterwards. And so he has, I think there's only about eight of us and it's on Zoom and it's once a week. It's about an eight, eight week course. And it's just really fun. We speak so much as lawyers and we're on our feet and you have to be quick witted and just be on your A game. And it was, this just seemed so fun for me as another way to kind of, I guess, also gain confidence, just having to be quick on your feet and react and another tool in, in my tool chest on different ways to innovating. Yeah. 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 And I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm certainly not an actress and I certainly don't want to be an actress, but I think it's just another way to kind of get outside of yourself and, and learn how to be in the moment and learn how to um, listen to someone and react to someone and communicate with people. So good trial lawyers become great by getting to know their clients personally and telling the richest stories. They use creative methods like videos to convey the story to the jury. They also maintain a life outside of the courtroom to find balance, set boundaries, and work within them. Find moments in time each day that are just for you. A big thank you to Candace for sharing her story and unbelievable insights with us today. You have been listening to Lawher with me, Sonia Palmer. If you found this content insightful, inspiring, or it just made you smile, please share this episode with the trailblazer in your life. For more about Candace, check out our show notes. And while you're there, please leave us a review or a five-star rating. It really goes a long way for others to discover the show. And I will see you next week on Laher, where we'll shed light on how another of the brightest and boldest women in the legal industry climbed to the top of her field. Mm-hmm.